It's not an accident that we sing in our services. I think it's a command that God gives us that we praise Him. We cannot get away from the instruction in God's Word that we join corporately together. I um, Just before we get started and I pray, I uh, find myself oftentimes evaluating what I do with my job, with my ministry, what I give time to. And it's curious, and it might surprise some, that I spend quite a bit of my time interacting with others, just trying to convince them of the quality and the wonder of God's plan for today, the plan of the local church. Now, for some of you, you don't scratch your heads as to why I say that, because plenty of individuals have been turned off by the church, whether it be an individual from the past, maybe a leader, maybe someone who went to a particular church, and that is your impression of them. And so it's amazing to me what percentage of my time I spend just trying to convince individuals that God's plan of the church that he has started and that he will continue until Jesus Christ comes back is a plan for every follower of Jesus Christ. And then another huge part of the time that I spend is trying to give people the confidence in that by just how I walk. And I would walk as one that would stand up in a position of leadership, as one that sometimes lives in a fishbowl, as the expression goes. And with my life, there is no doubt that some, there can be influence. Influence for the good, I pray, and many of you are praying that way too, I hope. And unfortunately, there can be influence for the bad. But may we never lose confidence in what God has said is his plan for today. There are not too many things that I have a quick knee-jerk reaction to. I respond back. I'm usually pretty laid back, even to a fault sometimes, way laid back sometimes. But sometimes when I'll, come, when I'll be talking to someone and there is this um, idea of demeaning the church today and how individuals don't need to be in the church and that's just not for everybody, that is one of those areas that I have to guard myself, that I don't jump on them because they're saying that for a reason, right? They're saying that because of something in their past. I want to challenge us as a group today before we come to the table and observe the Lord's Supper. I want to challenge us in the area of leadership. And before you jump to any conclusions, I want to let you know right now that I am not necessarily talking about leadership from a position in the church. Whether that position be on staff, someone who's serving on a committee, that is not necessarily what I'm talking about. In fact, I am hoping that many of you will pick up on the message and will see that actually I'm talking to you with this message, with this challenge. Before we go any further, would you bow with me one more time? And I'm gonna ask you to pray along for whatever God has laid on your heart, but very much so that the next half hour or so would be a sweet time for us to know him better and follow him better by what we learn from his word. Heavenly Father, I would ask that as we look into these short verses that you would allow us to see very clearly an example in your word and not just an example so that our minds might be more enlightened about it, but so that our hands would be motivated to work and our feet motivated to go and our eyes motivated to cry 
for someone. We thank you, Father, for the time that we have in this world. Help us not to waste it. And be clearly present now as we look into your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a little boy who was at the barber shop years ago, and he wasn't real excited about getting his hair cut. Climbed up into the barber chair when it was his turn, and the barber could tell that he wasn't too excited about it. And so he tried to break the ice a little bit and thought he would connect in a way with the young man. And he said, well, little boy, tell me, who do you want to be like when you grow up? Little boy didn't think very long. He made a scrowl on his face, and he said, just like this, there ain't nobody I want to be like when I grow up. And you know, that's kind of sad. It's kind of sad when we think of a generation of young people who do not have someone that is worth looking at. As we've studied the life of the Apostle Paul, and we've done that for a large bit of our time in the book of Acts, we have seen an incredible example of leadership. And what my prayer has already been today from our time in God's Word is that you will see the area of leadership and that you will be able to step into that position in some way. Now, by saying that, I'm not saying that I want folks to uh, run off to a seminary and study to be a leader in a church. Or that folks have to necessarily agree to lead a committee or a ministry team here at the church. Can, will you please receive the message that I'm trying to be much wider than that? There are not very many that are among us who will be excluded from this challenge. Because whether you are leading a group of 30 or a group of two, there is a place for you to step up as a leader. The Apostle Paul did this, and I wanted to spend time today. Um, we almost skipped past the area of leadership with the Apostle Paul. When we saw him on the ship that, as they were sailing in this storm, this hurricane, we saw him step up when they were um, at Fair Havens and say, we should not go, we should not sail, there's going to be much damage if we go, stay here. And the uh, Roman soldier did not listen to him, but instead they sailed off, tried to make it to Phoenix for the winter, and they got caught in this storm which blew them mercilessly on the Mediterranean Sea. They had no control over what was going on. Paul stepped up as a leader at that point. When the sailors were going to sneak off that boat, we saw this recently, when they were going to sneak off and get on the dinghy when they found they were near land, uh, Paul told the soldiers, unless they stay, you cannot be saved. He stepped up even in his chains and put, put himself in a place of leadership. And then after 14 days more of this miserable sail, he told everyone on board to eat and take their strength because God was going to save them and they had a, a job that was ahead of them. Paul continually stepped up as a leader. And I referenced it once or twice as we talked about it and I thought we'd be done. And then I came to these first 10 verses in Acts chapter 28. If you're not already there, turn to Acts chapter 28. And I think we find here the epitome of leadership. As we look at leadership, we find it in the Apostle Paul, and we find it personified. It is beautiful what we are going to find here. When we think of leadership, there are tons of individuals who are speaking on this today. People in the business world, individuals um, in sports, everybody talks about leadership because it's so important in our day. 
um, pastor and noted speaker, John Maxwell, he speaks on this and he gives a great illustration of leadership. He talks about leaders and he, uses, he takes the expression that it's lonely at the top. And he says any leader that says it's lonely at the top isn't really a leader. You see a lot of individuals, when they think they're going to step into a place of leading, they think they've got to get there on the mountain and then tell everybody else, hey, come on up. Hey, get on the train. Follow me. Come on, you can do this. And any leader who said it's lonely at the top is not actually a leader at all because if you are there at the top, you're going to bring others along with you at the top. If you're a leader and you're alone at the top, you're not a leader. You're you're a hiker is all you are. You're not a leader at all. We bring others with us as we go. And that pertains so much to what we do here in this local assembly. It is not that someone has a position and so they are the leader, but leadership is going to be influence with those that are around you. And I want to, just off the start here, before we jump into these verses, I want to give you just some practical um, um, disciplines that you can have in the area of leadership. If you're going to lead, and now don't miss this, please, some of you, don't tune out if you think I'll never lead in some way because I'm letting you know that I come across individuals who are the leader of a group of two, a group of four maybe. Listen to these, and I'm going to let you know in order to be that one, to influence someone else, if you want to make an impact, you are going to have to have these in place at least in some way building relationships. Number one, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write these down. You need to demonstrate integrity. If you want to make a difference, you are going to need to demonstrate integrity. There cannot ever be any compromise in this because as you are with those who are joining in your cause, if they see a slight twisting of the truth, if they see you letting someone else take the blame, for something that was not their fault. If they see you, don't miss this, if they see you not calling out wrong when wrong is there, all of that is going to make an impact. This all goes to your integrity. Psalm 119 verse 1 says, Joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instruction of the Lord. And if you will purpose in your heart to have integrity in the small things, the little tiny things, even when you think no one else is watching, if you will purpose to give great attention to the small things, it is amazing how the big things will follow. So the first one is integrity. The next one is you need to demonstrate humility. You need to demonstrate humility. And many people, when they think of a leader, they do not think of humility. They think of the loudest one, or the smartest one, the one that has the ability to have his voice heard above all others. One of my favorite quotes on humility was by Harry S. Truman when he said, it's amazing how much you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. And there are too many individuals who will not participate, will not take a role, will not lead unless they get their due credit. And when you are not worried about that, it is going to be amazing how much can get done in God's local body. When you are content to allow others to rejoice in the accomplishment, you're content not to get applause. Proverbs 29, 23 says this, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The third one, 
You need to demonstrate thoughtfulness. If you want to be an effective leader, you're going to need to demonstrate thoughtfulness. This is very simple. This is not difficult. Please and thank you. But let me tell you what my experience is. The please and the thank you become more rare and more rare as the the relationships um, build sometimes. You take for granted you, you just assume that it's going to happen and that's a dangerous place to get and I think the best example of that is our families, right? We are very, very courteous with strangers. We are very kind to those who we don't spend hardly any time with and yet one right in our own household or one that we're connected with in our family, oftentimes we just let those courtesies go. This can happen as we're working together in ministries. As some leaders are stepping up, if they forget to be thoughtful, it can have a horrible effect. And one of the most important things that you can do to be thoughtful is, is simply this, is simply listen. Just listening. How many of you are good at listening? I'll repeat that because some of you weren't paying attention. How many of you are good at listening? Yeah, some of you are good at it. Some of you pay attention well. And there's other times when you're looking at someone and they're talking and the lights are on but nobody's home. And they just, I, I did this. I, confession's good for the soul. We had a, a concert here not too long ago and there was someone that came through and I was talking with them and I was thinking about a, about a dozen things and they connected with me and, and um, after about 10 seconds I said, oh, well, where's so-and-so? I would think he'd be here at this concert. And she just had no governor at all and no uh, patience. She just said, what are you talking about? I just now told you where he's at. He's not feeling good tonight. And I found myself in a place where I was not listening. And that person knew very clearly that I really didn't care all that much about that conversation. And it's my hope and my prayer that you guys don't have that kind of story about me. And I'm also going to let you know this. If you're going to step up and serve God in some way with a group of two or a group of three, and that is how they think of you, it will not go very far. It will not last very long. Please and thank you. Very, very easy, but something that we can let go of so, um, so quickly. And then to a deeper level, we need to demonstrate love. If you're going to lead someone, you have to demonstrate love. You cannot get away from this. There is no substitute for this. This is going deeper on that thoughtfulness idea. When you're working closely with someone for any amount of time, it's going, to come clear, it's going to become clear very soon whether there is love there or there's a lack of love that is there. And oftentimes that will determine whether they stay or whether they go. Because in this world, there are people who are longing to be understood and they are longing to be loved. We live in a place where love the word love is, has been, you know, changed around so much. And a deep love. And the reason that it's deep is because it's rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do these things and we come together behind his plan of the church because we love him. And you cannot love Jesus Christ without loving his bride. When I was um, deciding where to do my schooling, my education, I knew I wanted to serve the Lord in vocational ministry in some way. And I had it narrowed down to two colleges, two good colleges. I knew people at both of them, and they were both good. And as I talked, by the way, we have alumni of both those colleges here in our congregation. I won't tell you which colleges they were, but I had it narrowed down to two. And I had somebody tell me, well, here's a difference between the two colleges. 
And I said, well, let me find out before I go away to college, whichever one I choose, so I can get whatever the right answer is. And typically it wasn't anything that was a cardinal doctrine. It wasn't a major thing. But I'm going to tell you what it was because I think it applies to a lot of times what we're trying to do with convince people of God's plan for the church. One of these colleges was in a warmer climate and very much so they taught that the church was important but they on a big scale taught about the universal church. Many of you are familiar with that. All that means is that every individual who has come to the Lord Jesus Christ all those who are saved. That's the universal church. There was another college in a much colder climate that I was considering, and they thought the word universal church was a dirty word. They, in, they thought that that was a horrible thing. Now, they knew that there is a group of people who are saved all around the world, but they never wanted to use the word church for that. And the reason was is because the majority of the time, the vast majority, over 95% of the time, we find the word church in the scriptures. It's refer referring to the local church. A gathering together like this one. That's what the word of God talks about the majority of the time. And the danger that we find when we look at the universal church is for an individual to read the word church and to think, no, no, I'm part of the church when they're nowhere near a local church, not involved, not practicing the one another's, not allowing themselves to be served, and certainly not putting their hand to serving others. We need to have love as we interact with those. And the old expression, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care, is so true, isn't it? Some of you could care less what someone's standing up and teaching you or someone leading a ministry or a group. Some of you could care less about everything they know if you do not genuinely demonstrate love. And then the last one is this, service. You need to demonstrate service in your life. Jesus Christ was the ultimate example of a leader. He, says, he said when he washed those disciples' feet, do as I have done unto you. The Word of God tells us the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. True leadership includes an eagerness to do the humble task just as much as it is to do the exalted task. And humility is going to be key for these small groups to prosper and for individuals to be able to come and to cling onto someone who's leading. And the reason why it's important that we have so many leaders, and can I say, over 20 individuals, can I say over 30 leaders right here from this group? Might I go far to say as more than 75 leaders getting into a place and putting your shoulder to the plow and working hard. And the reason why this is such a sweet plan for God's church is because of the variety that we find in God's church. The church is described as a body. You cannot have the hand without the foot. You cannot have the eyes without the ears. And everyone plays a different role. You are supposed to be a part in this role. My Uncle Jack had a lot of influence in my life. He believed he knew what part of the body he was. He always said if he's part of the body, he's the stomach. That's for sure is what he thought he was. What part might you be? Your part. We cannot get away from it. And let me just encourage you with this because when we talk about leadership, can I just be completely transparent with you and say this? I am not everybody's cup of tea. I'm not. Thank you for not saying amen, those of you who are, you know, <laughs> thinking that. 
I'm not everybody's cup of tea. But can I suggest to you this, that you would be different than me or different than one of the leaders here that's serving on a committee or over a group. And you might be exactly what somebody's cup of tea is. You might be one that they'd say, you know what, this is one who is faithful. This is one who is loving. This is one who is obedient. This is one who is humble. And I will jump alongside of them not too long ago, I had someone come up to me and they wanted to introduce me to someone. So it was an individual, a friend of mine, and they said, I have to introduce you to this couple here. And the reason I want to introduce you to them and the reason I'm so excited is because this couple here, years ago, they worked with my child in a club. They influenced my child. How many of you parents are glad that you have godly men and women, older and younger surrounding you, pointing your child to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I am. When individuals are choosing a church, and you know there's a great divide today, this, this generational divide where some churches are attracting just so many younger people, and it's all younger and nobody older, and then other churches, it seems like they have all older people and no younger people. And that is a detriment to what we're trying to do. Because as I stand as a father of, of my wonderful kids I want them to see someone who loves Jesus Christ and who pours into them. We've had folks in the 20s and 30s class say this when they were choosing a church. They said, I want my kids to see someone who's 60 and 70 years old who has followed Jesus Christ and is faithful. And that's why we work hard in this place to get along. That's why we show deference to one another. That's why not one week is likely going to go by where there's not something that you don't like it that way. It's never the way I like it either. That's okay. Because the main thing is that we are seeing individuals receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're giving you a chance to respond by serving our God through this local assembly. All right, I've gone on too far. Let's go ahead and get to Acts 28. All that to bring us to this, and hopefully you'll see uh, this beautiful trait in the Apostle Paul. Luke has already recorded for us how Paul has been sailing under God's providential protection, and now they come and they had the shipwreck last week, and they find themselves on land, but where are they? Look at verse number one of Acts 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul, had got, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Let's stop right there and talk about this. And our main focus today is going to be the Lord's Supper, so we're just going to really look at one aspect of leadership in the Apostle Paul. We find them arriving on the island of Malta, and some of them might have kissed the ground once they swam from that shipwreck. And we're going to find out that they'll spend three winter months on this island getting rest. And the, the natives are very hospitable at this point. They build them a fire. Um, somebody said it must have been a huge fire to keep 276 people warm. I wonder if there might have been smaller fires that were going on around there. 
But what I want you to see in the Apostle Paul is that after he had saved their lives, and I think they all knew this, they knew how incredible he was. They knew they owed their life to the Apostle Paul. And after he goes through all of that, he does not find the most choice spot by the fire and kick his feet back and say, you know what? I've done my part. It's time for some of you folks to get busy. Come on, get some sticks. Build the fire. That's not what we find Paul doing. We find him going around and collecting this brush wood. He is anxious to to do the little tasks of gathering that wood just as much as doing the large task that was ahead of him of confronting Caesar. We find leadership personified in this humility and everything else that he has demonstrated. Now the natives are a very superstitious people. They see the snake bite. This poisonous viper comes out and bites him and immediately they believe the worst. I mean, can you see them talking? And they're very superstitious. They're not a little stitious. They are superstitious, all right? And they're talking, and they see this snake, and he hangs onto his hand, and they say, my goodness, he survived the sea, but certainly he must be a criminal of the worst kind. He must be a murderer, because now our God, small g, justice, that's the God they're talking about here. You have a capital J on the word justice there. The God, justice, will not let him live. And so they think that he's going to die at that point. This reminds us of the story of Job. In the story of Job, we find his miserable comforters that come. And to them, Job's problems only could be there because of unconfessed sin. And you need to be aware of this when you're the comforter and going to someone and you're assuming that they've got some sin. And also you need to be on guard that you don't let someone else tell you that you have to have some sin when struggles come. Snake bites don't imply wrongdoing any more than hard times imply hidden sin. Look at verse five with me. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. And we don't have a lot of time here to talk about how fickle the crowd can be, but have you seen that? Have you seen the fickle group? I mean, here he is. He's got to be the worst kind of criminal, the worst kind of murderer. He's horrible. And then within a short amount of time, well, no, he's not that. He's a God. He rises in the ranks very quickly because he did not die at that point. And their opinion swings from one extreme to the other. And we need to guard against being quick to judge ourselves. And then next, so first he he makes an impression upon the people and then he makes an impression upon the Maltese leader. Look at verse number um, eight or uh, verse number seven with me. Now in the neighborhood of that place, there were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. 
They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And so we find that the Apostle Paul comes into contact with their leader. And don't rush by the hospitality that is given here. He's not just giving one meal for 276 people. He's going to take care of them and house them and feed them for three months. This is a huge cost to these people. And it's a wonderful amount of generosity. The Apostle Paul, here in Acts 28, right at the end of our story here, the end of the story of the history of the church, he demonstrates his apostolic power by miraculously healing Publius' father. And then we find that others were healed. That may have been in a miraculous way. It may have been that he had a doctor right with him, right? Dr. Luke was there for those three months. And it could be a combination of those things. We can't know for sure. Paul had an impact on this island of Malta and he was given three months to recover from the storm he had just gone through and what did Paul do he demonstrated integrity he demonstrated humility he demonstrated thoughtfulness and love and service Paul had this as a part of his life and when we are able to do those things then that individual that is looking to you Maybe you're just the right cup of tea for them. When you demonstrate those things, they will have confidence in what God is doing. Let me share with you just one more story. When we come to God's plan of his church, and when I say this this knee-jerk response that I have, when anybody wants to trash talk the church of Jesus Christ, not the universal church, but the local church, had an individual, um, he's a friend of mine, and we get together every once in a while with a group. He's a friend of mine from the old days, and uh, we were in church together years ago, and it was when he first came to Jesus Christ. And in those days, when he first came to Christ, and he and his family were in church, and some other families were in church, he would talk about it. And I've heard him, I don't know how many times, talk about those days. Oh, man, do you remember those days? Do you remember Pastor so-and-so? Do you remember on this night here we would do this? And he was so excited about those days and what happened in the church. It was a time where he would say, man, I grew leaps and bounds at that time. And I've heard him multiple times talk about this. And you know what? We need to celebrate those great stories from the past. Having said that, my friend today is not very excited about church. He never talks about it currently like that. That's something in the past. And he wishes he could take that formula from the past and just put that in a bottle and set it right here. And I have a fear as one who has a love for the local church that he's going to set himself up in a place where he never again has confidence in God's plan today for the church. I struggle with that. Because can I tell you something? As wonderful as that time was back then and those people and his kids at that stage and how encouraged he was, the plan for God's church for today is just as good. And you cannot allow someone to knock you out of that. And that's why I am begging maybe 75 of you, maybe 100 of you this morning, I am begging you to stand up in a place where you not only have confidence in what God is doing in his church, not in a man, confidence in Jesus Christ and his plan. By the way, you know what he uses in his plan? He uses men and women. 
I was talking with someone younger a while back and, and they said this. They said, wouldn't it be nice if we could just take all the Christians and just kind of go off to an island and be all on our own and we wouldn't have to have the influences of everything around us and I get that utopian idea. I understand that. But I've got no desire for that because I know what God has planned. And can I tell you that God has somebody that you are connected to? that maybe he wants you to lead. It might be leading in this small way, in a ministry, and 15 years from now, somebody says, can I tell you how much of a blessing you were to my kid? It might mean you catch someone by the elbow and you pray with them in the hallway back here and you lead them in prayer and it comes genuinely from your heart and you stand up and you lead. And what we need in this church is not one leader and not six leaders, what we need in this church is about 200 leaders that will stand up. And you might say, well, where are we going to put everybody then? Where are we going to put everybody? If we have 200 leaders and they attract other people, where are we going to put them all? You know what? We'll figure that out, okay? Don't worry about that. But I want to ask you to understand that you are being watched. Would you be willing to be obedient and step up and lead? Because God's plan for his church is his plan for today and for next week and for tomorrow. I'm gonna ask our men who are serving communion this morning if they would go ahead and come forward.